Hi, this is Steve Roost, and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. Each week, we give you the best news, views, and interviews from the health technology world. From CEOs and founders to entrepreneurs and clinicians, the companies and people that are shaping the future face of healthcare. All on the world's number one talk health radio. Hello and welcome to the Health Tech Hour this week. My name is Steve Roost and I am, and each week we bring you the best news views and interviews with the CEOs, leaders and clinicians who are changing the face of healthcare uh, in the UK and beyond. And the beyond bit is pretty critical for this show as we will, as we will get into as we, as we move through the show. Um, as regular listeners know, I'm a health tech founder and CEO myself, um, founder and CEO of PocDoc which is changing the face of blood testing by allowing smartphones to do blood tests. I'm passionate about the people and companies who are changing the world. Thanks to everyone who's listening live on UK Health Radio. Um, And also thank you for listening if you are listening on your favorite podcast platform. So we're now on Spotify, Apple, Google, and Amazon. Um, Also, please make sure you follow the show, which is at Health Tech Hour on the socials. Um, you can follow me. I'm at Steve Roost CEO. And please make sure you follow the station, which is at UK Health Radio. There are a ton of presenters doing some really fantastic things on the station. So please follow the, the station to stay on top of all of that. Um, so that's that. That's the admin out the way for the day. Um, so today is International Women's Day. It's been all over the news today, all over the socials. You know, if you've been kind of on social media, it's, it's kind of a thing today. Um, the theme for this year's day is hashtag break the bias. Um, And I want to read the vision statement of this year's day, partly because I think that everyone should hear it and partly as a tribute to my aunt, uh, Mary Lloyd, who actually sadly passed away yesterday. Um, She was a fantastic woman. She dedicated her life to helping children with special educational needs, including severe autism. Um, She was a wonderful mother, grandmother and of course, aunt, and she will be sorely missed. So here is the vision statement um, for today. Imagine a gender equal world. A world free of stereotype and bias and discrimination. A world that is diverse, equitable and inclusive. A world where difference is valued and celebrated together, we can forge women's equality. Collectively, we can hashtag break the bias. I think is is very powerful and it's perfect that our guest today, Marissa Fayer, is the founder and CEO of Her Health EQ, which has the the mission and the vision of creating health equality for women by providing access to medical devices and treatment in developing countries. Um, Marissa is a professional TEDx speaker and a huge advocate and activist for health equality. So uh, Marissa, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks for having me. Happy International Women's Day. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's it's good to to be celebrating on the show. Um, Where exactly are you calling from? So I'm calling from New York City, so I'll always do the apology of the sirens in the background. You can never, whatever sound <laughs> canceling you try, you can never get rid of them. So somebody okay. might hear it, but I promise you, I'm okay. <laughs> it's all good. Okay, good. We won't, we won't, yeah, we won't get worried. But it's great that we've, we're having you call in from the US. As we say, we're a global show, so it's good to have, you know, representation from different parts of the world. Um, we had Selena Gore, who is also on your side of the pond, the, the CEO of Women Heart, on a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's always good to get a kind of a diversity 
of um, opinion and, and insight from from everywhere so that we're not just so focused on one particular one particular area um so as a lot of regular listeners will know the show is in three parts the first part is really the origins of how um, our guests came to be doing all of the fantastic stuff that they are doing um the middle part is generally about all of the stuff that the guests are doing to change the world and then the final part really is more I, I like to make it more around like the personal motivation and lessons that can be passed on to, to anyone listening about life or business or whatever ultimately it likes, we, we, we get on. Because again, we're very much geared on the show around bringing people on who are mission driven and who have, whether that be in the for-profit or not-for-profit space, or even as a clinician or, 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 or as a doctor or a GP who have a mission that they're following through on. And, and that generally, but I don't know, you know, particularly in healthcare, following through on a mission is a pretty bumpy, a bumpy task. You know, there's quite a lot of headwinds to get through. So a lot of people generally seem to, I, I think, trying to kind of unpick how those leaders have, have kept on going and kept on through those dark times, I think is really, really valuable. So let's kick off um, like we normally do, which is just to try and understand what was your journey into healthcare. Um, so I know that you actually have a very, very strong engineering background. Um, you know, from 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 a you know unnamed number of years ago, We're, but but a a, 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 um, a an engine, a strong engineering background. Um, but how did that kind of how did you get drawn into healthcare or health technology or and why? How how did that journey happen? I mean, honestly, it was a fluke. Um, <laughs> you like, I mean, everyone on knows show, that but... I will speak uh, total truth here, but. Um, it, it was a fluke. Like I started in aerospace engineering. I wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted oh. to, to work at NASA. I wanted to send people to, to space, to the moon, to Mars and all of that. And I, uh-huh. you know, would still love to do that and have fully signed up for every possible scenario to make that happen. But um, it wasn't, it wasn't a, it, it was an option for me uh, at okay. that point. They didn't allow people with corrective lenses. Since okay. That has since changed. And, okay. you know, Unfortunately, wow. I then aged out and like, you know, then I hurt my back and it's like, okay. you know, you so become what, too old so, eventually. So, so what, like when, when did you decide that you were going to go down the NASA pathway and like, when did you find out about the corrective sight thing? Like how far down were you when you found out like you couldn't do it because of the, your eyes? So like I went to space camp and space Academy, like multiple cool. times. I studied aerospace engineering at college and then, wow. you know, I interned at, a company that makes jet engines for airplanes. Like I, I'm, I'm all, I was you fully like all in, all in, all in. Wow. Yeah. And I knew, I knew the corrective lenses things. It was always okay. the hope like, Oh, maybe it'll just like, they'll change it, which right. they did. But at that point, <laughs> you know, it was fine. Right. And I, I was kind of like, all right, enough of this theory. I want to do something that makes a difference. Okay. And um, I, I stayed within engineering. I just changed majors within. I went to manufacturing engineering. It was very hands-on. Yeah. And so, you know, I was like physically making a difference, making factories more efficient, making new products. I was like, this mm. is exciting. Right. And um, so I just happened to get recruited in to a medical device company right out of university. Um, I was like, oh, okay, great. I guess we'll help people. And, you know, that was kind of always my thing was like exploration and making things better and figuring out what's next. So, I mean, it worked and it's, uh, as everybody in the the med tech world knows, like once you're in, you almost never leave. Um, you, you, you have this, like, regardless of what you're doing in med tech, you're actually helping somebody yeah. And it makes a difference and people see that and they get excited. And, you know, it's, it's kind of yeah. nice to work on that as opposed to 
I don't know, like a chair, which are wonderful and needed and necessary, <laughs> you know, but like, or another, you know, toy, which of course are necessary for children's yeah. growth. But like in med tech, you, you know, you, you get hooked. You know, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot more innovation. So what was the first device that you worked on? Do you remember? So, oh my God, it, uh, there was a few of them, but, uh, it was actually timely for now as a chest drain. So okay. it takes the fluid and, you know, I mean, everybody here, are, you know, most of them are <laughs> physicians or technicians or clinicians. So everybody knows, but, um, you know, it takes the fluid and the air out of the lungs and, um, redesigning production lines and new products coming out and really, you know, develop the, the really small ones, um, so that's, you know, for ambulatory use. And that was kind of the first of their kind. Wow. And, um, you know, I, I kind of okay. stuck, I stuck in that and started going, doing some work on catheters, starting doing some work on um, imaging systems and started doing okay. work on endoscopes and kind of just, just kept on going and never stopped 22 years later. Thank you for the unnamed. Uh, well, I didn't want to, you know, it's, it's fine. Uh, I, I also didn't actually take the time to count up or do the maths, but um, I didn't want to, you know, out you, but, but yeah. Um, the, the, um, to, I, and so like, was it, was there a point when you, like you said, you, and it's the same for me, you know, having worked in health tech now, um, you know, I know that there's a higher purpose, right? What we're doing has, has a real impact, a positive impact. So even like, let's say you were working on a device and it didn't really, I don't know, for whatever reason, it didn't get the traction it should have done. The, the intent to help somebody was still there, right? You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, everyone's intent, most 99.9% .9 of people, you know, their intent is in this industry is to help people. And so, yeah. you know, and I think even the people who fail, they're the ones, they, they still intended to help. They just yeah. couldn't get traction or couldn't move it forward or didn't do it in a truthful way. And yeah. so, um, yeah, there's no, there's very little, I just want to make money and yeah. who cares about the people? I mean, yeah. unfortunately that sometimes happens to corporations, but it's yeah. not, that's not the true mission and vision of kind of what the organization. C certainly not at the device level, right? Like certainly yeah. not at that device level. Like I think that there's, I don't know, we don't may or maybe we won't get into like the whole health insurance aspect of, you know, that stuff, that's a whole big area, but like certainly anyone that's spending their time and capital in medical device development is doing it to solve a problem now you can have a debate about how big the problem is and how much money can be got from the problem and etc but ultimately you are the whole purpose is to design a, design a device that solves a particular medical clinical health problem correct i mean listen any new innovation that comes out is always solving some sort of problem and again it could be faster cheaper better um, but it's still solving some sort of problem or some sort of issue that either a surgeon has or the market has, or there's a gap or there's not, or, you know, you just want the new iteration. You're still, yes, you're still serving a higher purpose. No, agreed. And with that background, especially with, even with like, even with the work that you're doing, even with the work that everybody's yeah. doing, I mean, like, you know, that's, that's what this is. So I, I yeah. mean, why well, be in like this industry if you're not? No, exactly. I mean, and also to be honest with you, if you wanted to make a quick buck, you probably wouldn't choose medical device manufacturing, medical no. device development, right? That is obviously, there's a lot of value there that you can get to, you know, but um, it's not something that you can flip on overnight, right? Because there's all of the, you know, R&D, there's all of the manufacturing scale up, there's all of the regulatory pathways that you've got to understand and you've got to move through. And quite rightly, right? It shouldn't be easy to put a medical device on the market. Like it should be difficult with a lot of due diligence and a lot of kind of 
you know rigor to it otherwise goodness me what would happen well i mean that's what all these industries are and and agencies are for i mean mm. you know i think the their their motto is you know to do no harm it, it it's yeah. not it's not like is it better does it make more money is it faster the, that's that doesn't matter is yeah. it do no harm and that's what they're there for and the process should be rigorous i mean yeah, no, you're not in medical devices to make a buck. I mean, let's just. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, people do, buck, people buck. do, and it's wonderful I... if you do, and it'd be great if all of us did. But I mean, you know, it's not the easiest way. Let's no, let's, I th- let's, let's be clear. Let's put it that way. I was kind of impressed with the FDA though, because I don't know if you followed this. Just as a random offshoot, then we can get back to your journey just quickly. But the um in the UK, they effectively basically let you know, every man and his dog sell um, to, to import COVID-19 antigen yeah. tests, right? Yeah. And um, the FDA actually, um, they they had a big problem with them, with the same tests, with the same manufacturers, right? So there was a, a US company called Innova, actually, yeah. and they didn't get FDA. And now I think they're even being investigated by the FDA. So I was kind of impressed about that, actually, that they were like, because obviously in the UK and Europe, pretty much those antigen tests they were like okay cool come on in guys yeah great like come on yeah yeah okay cool you've got an instruction leaflet and a box like well done you're all good whereas in the u.s like the fda was a lot more rigorous with it yeah uh, i don't think it's a nova it's a different name but yes um but we quite honestly i'm really proud because i actually worked on that program that program i I kind of still do with the fda with the yeah so so i work with the nih on their radx um covid 19 is a rapid task force and it's to get all of these rapid tests get the laboratory scales uh, you know scale it up get the the point of care the otc test in the market i've been working on it since may 2020 and it's the first of its kind initiative for for the government quite honestly it's like a shark tank like they yeah. literally, there's multiple levels that they had to go through to pitch to right. you know see the viability, and then they get money, and then there's another tranche, and then you have yeah. to pitch again, and you know it, it's actually yeah. the first time that they've ever done this, and cool. they're they're doing it now for other things. They're doing oh, yeah? it for um, yeah, they just started it for um, some some neuro issues. We're hoping okay. that they're actually going to use this for um, the cancer moonshot initiatives as well. Okay. Nice. And so like, this is a new way of thinking that the government and, and these agencies have, um, have started to approach this. Like we would never have scaled up at the scale that we have. Um, the FDA has made some significant, um, significant changes. I mean, the whole EUA protocol, just in general, I mean, it was kind of used like barely. Yeah, I there mean, was no reason now, to use now it, Now everybody right? even knows the word, the acronym, yeah, yeah, yeah. what it means. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, oh, God, we have one of those? And you get the EUA book out of the drawer. Like, what happens, you know? Yeah. I mean, everyone, yeah. like, literally in the beginning, we're like, okay, so what does this mean? And now, like, just the layman people on the street knows what, knows what it means. It's amazing. Yeah. And so, like, this is... Listen, like everyone moved heaven and earth to make this happen. And I'm not saying the U.S. did it well, because, you know, certainly there's many I ways mean, that we did not do this well. And, um, right? you know, and we we do lag behind and still do on on tests and having test capabilities and, you know, not test capabilities, but tests in the market. Right. I mean, it would have been great if we had so many of them like you did before. But I think to us, like efficacy is way more important and, and not to say it's not in the U.K. or anywhere else, but. I mean, I was in last summer, I was in um, Amsterdam and I picked up a box of 20 of them and like, 
I used them. I think that they were great. I hope that they yeah. worked and that they were certified. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, I, would, I mean, they would all, so they, they would have all been certified, right? But it's like yeah. they, 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 there was no. Whereas in the F, whereas with the, the well, I guess what I was sort of saying was like the tests that were certified in Europe didn't yeah. pass the FDA, basically. Yeah. So yeah. you're like, well, yeah. Anyway, I was just and also from from a pop up perspective, <clears throat> our interaction with the FDA, the FDA processes, and things like that, we've been super impressed so far. It's really, really great. Really yeah, awesome. they've been starting to move really quick. Like, you know, as a result of COVID-19, they've, they've been moving much faster um, yeah. because they knew that they had to and that there was a lot of pressure, just, you know, just just life pressure in yeah. order to do that. It's less government pressure. It's more like, hey, for a life. And and we're, you know, everyone's hoping like this, this is how they're going to move forward, especially in the future. I mean, you've been seeing that, right? That's what yeah, you said. No. Like, yeah, no, no, exactly. It's great. Yeah, no. And I think, like, I mean, look, we've seen generational change in the healthcare system over the last two years but you know it was probably some stuff that was stored up that should have happened that hadn't already happened and you know there was there was kind of some making up to do as well as sort of genuine incremental in, incremental progress um but yeah no look we i i mean yeah there, there are differences between the european system and between the u.s system and like the like the, the, the from a regulatory perspective i think they've got like pros and cons but there's some stuff around in the u.s system which is just i guess kind of unsurprisingly a bit more pragmatic you know yeah. about like the, the understanding that, that that there's a commerciality to it and, and and you're dealing with commercial companies and so you can sort of treat them maybe more like grown-ups and less like sort of children that you know where, where where you know so i think that that's how the european maybe maybe differs but um so how obviously you were you know in this manufacturing space for for, for a while but that's not where you stayed right so then you moved into venture funding and then obviously now you're doing her health eq so how did what why did you transition out of manufacturing and you know why was you know what happened sort of after you know after that bit yeah i mean i was in i was in industry for 15 years working corporate and uh, i think i just got burnt out i mean i was i was traveling the world i was living in so many different countries and I'm sure that we'll for sure get to that journey but yeah. um you know will for for me it honestly it was i was I was exhausted and I needed to take a little bit of break. Um, I did that by not taking a break and starting a consulting <laughs> firm. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, oops. Yeah. I mean, so I started a consulting firm of which is still in existence. I've been doing it for eight years. I did a lot of work in manufacturing still and scale ups, but it was more, you know, to my choice as opposed to being yeah. forced to do that. Right. And it then, was under your control. Um, yeah. And then, you know, through there I was meeting people and, um, and then I got into venture, which was yeah. really, you know, really exciting and interesting. And so, and from there, I kind of did some work in venture, was doing some advising work. And then I joined a, a venture firm as a, as a partner. And um, it's, it's, you know, to my passion, which right. is exciting. And so how, like, I'm always interested, so, you know, w w to get the, the venture kind of investor side of things, because it is really different, right? The way that they have to think about things is different. And so yeah. what, what, what would you, because obviously you've worked both sides kind of in effect. So what have been the, what are the biggest differences you think from someone that, you know, from the entrepreneurial side or the corporate side versus someone who's an investor or a fund or, or, or that type of thing? What are some of those big differences? Yeah, I don't think there's that many because most investors most or, or the good ones have been operators at some right. at some point and they know what that's like they understand that you know you you still need a really good product you still need a good process you still need good people you still need you know good everything and you need good advice and that's what investors are 
they're good advice with money. And, yeah. you know, they, they're, they're the ones that obviously they want to see the return because it's their mm-hmm. capital or it's capital that they've raised and they have to, they have to then prove returns as well. And so, you know, there's, there's not that much difference. I think sometimes investors forget the other side of the world of which they used to be operators. They used to have to, you know, report yeah. into uh, investors or public facing, you know, companies. And so I, I think sometimes they, they forget um, and that it's not just about the money. And in, in healthcare, obviously, it's not just about the money. Um, right. It's an important part of it. But a lot, of pe- a lot of people are starting to shift over to that. Okay, it's about the money, but also how many people are we impacting? What are we doing yeah. with this? How are we making a difference? How are we making the world better? Yeah. And you know, I'm grateful to have be to, to be part of that and to start seeing that life. Because that's that's exciting, um, you know, and that's the work that like I get excited about, as opposed yeah. to hey, we've just funded like another widget, and it's just an iteration of the widget before. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people are starting to come around to that impact side, um, but I mean, the difference between investors and operators, I mean, you know, or entrepreneurs, I mean, <laughs> entrepreneurs need the money, investors have it. It's a it's a position of power, unfortunately. And, um, you know, it, it really, I think it's the entrepreneurs that have the power. They're the ones that have the technology. And, and uh, I think, and the ideas, right? shown, you know, I would hope if anything has shown, like that started to, that's starting to change a little bit, but well, I think in health tech, continuously I think in raising money, like I can yeah. tell you probably hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think in the, um, we got a break for a second in a minute, but just from back of what you said, you know, I think particularly in, in health tech where, you know, like in other industries, right? Like like venture building is a big thing, right? For example, where you know money, if you like, venture capitalists will come together and they'll they'll kind of figure out an idea, a proposition, and then they'll pass it to a you know a, a young, hungry entrepreneurial type who'll then kind of execute on it. I think that there's less of that in health tech purely because there's so much IP, particularly if anything's more technical. You know, um, if it's more in the digital healthcare sort of lighter side of, of you know app type thing i think it might be a bit easier but anything that's ip rich or ip heavy then that's going to be really really hard to do so i think that then therefore yeah that those entrepreneurs that are in that space that have that ip do have quite a lot of of power and leverage absolutely cool right we're going to stop for a couple of minutes for a commercial break and then we're going to be back and we're going to talk all about her health eq and how you ended up doing that because ultimately it's international women's day and so that is the reason we've got you on and i know that that stuff is all super exciting um for, for well personally as well as well as professionally at least for me so let's take a couple of minutes and then we'll be right back with marissa Fayer, ceo and founder of her health eq uk health radio the station that makes you feel good how good are vitamin c supplements Usually only a small proportion of vitamin C actually reaches your cells and has a positive effect. Whereas the high absorption levels of Goldman Laboratories liposomal vitamin C help maintain optimal vitamin C levels in your body and strengthen your immune system. Now get 10% off when you choose Goldman Laboratories liposomal vitamin C capsules. Just quote 10 off at goldmanlaboratories.com. Do you suffer from pain? B-Cure Laser, a home-use CE-approved medical device for the effective treatment of pain, is now available in the UK. 
The results of a double-blind trial has shown that B-Cure Laser offers a significant reduction in pain compared to the placebo group. To get your special B-Cure offer now, call free on 0808 501 5122 or Google Radio Pro London. B-Cure Laser. B-Cure Laser. UK Health Radio. The station that makes you feel good. Hello and welcome back to this week's Health Tech Hour with me, Steve Roost, and Marissa Fayer, the CEO and founder of Her Health EQ, which is what we're going to talk about now. So you were you absolutely crushed it in manufacturing in medical devices, then dominated the world of venture funding. And then, you know, how did you move from there into doing a charity? And why did you do a charity? And, and then also why this particular charity, if that makes sense, because there are, you know, the world's got a lot of nails and not enough hammers. So why this particular, particular one? Yeah, totally true. Um, well, I also want to clarify, I'm doing literally all of them at the same time right now. Oh, great. So- good. Okay, good. <laughs> well, concurrently, you're still like, you're like, okay, well, you know, my, my, my apologies. I didn't mean to say, I made it sound no, no, like no. it was sequential totally and it's actually concurrent. No, totally good. It's a, uh, I, I feel the need to be a multipreneur and refuse to do one thing at a time, which I think is why it kind of set me up to do her healthy cue as well. Um, You know, the reason, the reason I started it was because I saw such a gap. I mean, you know, that's as an engineer, we see gaps, we fix them and try to find a way to fix them. It's literally what I did. And so found a gap in the healthcare system um, globally where there were new versions of things coming out or marketing changes where the color changes or, you know, customers return it because there's a scratch, you know, from our very fancy US, UK, European based hospitals. And, you know, a lot of times, yeah, they repair them. They, you know, a lot of the medical device companies try to resell them, but there's a gap. There's always a gap for, for, for what they've produced and what they can sell. And so there's equipment that's sitting on the shelf. There's equipment that's been returned. There's equipment that might be down a rev, you know, a revision or a generation, and they don't want it out in the market any longer. And so it gets thrown away. And, right. you know, we're talking about things that capital equipment that have a useful life of 25 years. Wow. I, I mean, and after two years, it gets thrown away just because wow. like there's a scratch. I mean, you know, but it's yeah, still functional, I, right? It's still safe, fully it's still accurate, fully functional, fully certified, fully fine, except, you know, there's a lot of the hospitals in the U.S. have a capital spending cycle. And if you don't spend it, you lose it. Right. And so why yeah, not have, spend it and get, you know, you guys yeah. have that in, you know, NHS no, well, we, as well. We have, no, not well, in the NHS yeah. a bit, but in, um, in councils, there's always this joke, like, I don't know quite what the equivalent of a council is in your, in your part of the world, but it's like a little area, like a county. And there's yeah. like the board of whoever that runs the county, they're called a council in England, yeah. in the UK. And like, you know, that it's coming up to budget time because you see traffic signs going up everywhere because they've got to get the cash out. <laughs> Right. There's like there's there's traffic signs and speed bumps and like ever it's just, just like, oh, get it out, get it out, get it done. Anyway, sorry, carry on yes. with what you were yeah, saying. Yeah, no, 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 no. And and same thing. I mean, listen, we have it here too. Like it's the end of the month and the, you know, all of a sudden all the traffic cops are out. We get that. Um <laughs> <laughs> gotta hit your quota. But you yeah. know, for it's it's literally the same thing at at hospitals. And every two to three years most of them, and especially the big ones, they switch over their, their capital equipment. 
Uh, I mean, you know, in relative terms, I mean, MRI machine that costs $5 million is not being switched out every two years, but you know, most everything else is. And a lot of times it sits in a, in a closet or it gets uh, sent back or, you know, you're like, Hey, great. I'm going to trade it in. And then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you're like, Hey, okay, great. The manufacturers are like, well, we have too many of these. Here's your $500 discount on your next one and uh, throw it out. Right. Like throw out an entire uh, ultrasound machine, wheel so, it into the dumpster in the back. Really? And so they, so the manufacturer says, we don't want it. Yeah. You do what you want with it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, I I saw that as I developed the 3D mammography system, the 2D ones or the, the lower versions of the, the 3D ones were coming back. And they were getting, you know, refurbished and whatever, but everyone, you know, it's a big deal. Like when new model of something comes out, just like a car, you know, with the old one. Right. And so, you know, a lot of people didn't want the old ones. We had mammogram machines lined up against the wall and, okay. you know, all of a sudden I'm living and working in Costa Rica. And I see that there's women, you know, a friend of mine is telling me that there's women dying of breast cancer in this one region. And okay. like they were dying because their mammogram machine broke down 10 years ago. They weren't near the capital. The government right. didn't like actually see that that was a problem. And so from our perspective, I said, you know, like, yeah, I was a very naive 30 year old. And I'm like, well, let's fix that. Like, I know exactly somewhere that has mammogram machines lying around and sitting around. So let's get one installed. And it's, you know, it's a very naive, like, as far as the process goes, like, it's really just trust me that not that easy. Um, I can can imagine it's not that simple. (laughs) Yeah, like you're moving it in between countries with two di- different jurisdictions and power conditions, yeah. and you know, and you have to go over the mountain by five hours. And yeah, how is it going to get installed? And there's not enough power, so you wow. have to dig a trench to get it there. And you know, like it's like all and of these. And were you like on site in Costa Rica doing this kind of like? <laughs> were you there? That's amazing. Yeah, so I was in Costa Rica. I was working for the same company I was working for when I was developing the 3D mammography system, Hologic. And um, anybody who watched the Super Bowl should have seen their commercial. I'm oh, not working for them anymore, but still, still proud of them. Cool. Wait, so they did a mammography uh, advert in the Super Bowl? That's not for mammography, punchy. just general health. It was Mary okay. J. Blige um, was the spokesperson, and it's just you wow. know, just generally, it was the first major medical device company. To, to to have some sort of, and first you know women's health company to, I mean to you have say that you like that. you say you can't make a buck in medical devices but I'm pretty sure I mean so yeah. pretty sure a, a Super Bowl advertising spot with Mary J Blige is going to cost a couple of bucks probably yeah yeah um, but you but know that's something super that's cool. yeah it's really cool and so you know uh, it was in Costa Rica utilized the entire team down there uh, I mean you know, God love my boss down there who had to drive me five hours each way. I mean, I had to listen to his horrible music, but, you know, <laughs> still we had a you know great adventure to, to go there and check out the site and meet with the doctors and understand the requirements. And, you know, we did that three or four times and, yeah. um, you know, the entire team that got it into the country and got it installed and, you know, all of these things like, it, it truly takes like, you know, a team to be doing this. And, and so it, that led me to think about like, okay, great. So that's one piece of equipment. What about the yeah. rest? And that was one yeah, I was country say, so how, where I knew yeah, and how Yeah. So like, exactly. So how does that come turn into, how do you scale that concept? That's hard. Yeah. And so, um, I, I mean, I left corporate in, in the meantime, started my consulting firm and there was still like this nagging, I have to do something. 
And so I started, uh, I started the charity. I started Her Healthy Q um, and uh, started six years ago and just, just started working with this concept and connecting with medical device manufacturers, connecting with hospitals, connecting with, you know, people who needed it and um, different countries. And it, it was, it started off like a friend of a friend knew somebody in Jamaica. So they connected okay. me to, to them and okay, great. What do you need? Oh, you need, you know, you need an ultrasound machine and you need something to detect cervical king and that's cancer. Great. Let me go and get that. You okay. know, and it's like, so, so, so you so call like... your contacts, you do this and you figure right. it out. And, right. you know, you send a team down to, to, to Jamaica, you train them, you know, it's like all of right. these things. And that's, that's how it started. <laughs> right. And so you were, you were sort of running like an unofficial kind of like not-for-profit marketplace for like medical devices, right? Trying to like almost in a, you know, in a, in a very, in a, in a very tongue-in-cheek sort of way. But, um, yeah. and, and how, like, how, because I know that you've done work in Burkina Faso, in Costa Rica, in Jamaica, in all of these kind of different, and, and d- how did it, or has it evolved? It sounds like it has, but how did it evolve from that sort of like, oh my goodness, there's a guy here that needs this and I found someone over there that's got that. And like, how, how is it sort of, because how does that evolve into what it is today, which I, I'm guessing seems a lot more structured, a lot more, you know, um, what's the word, sort of elevated and, 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 yeah. and larger. I mean, thank you for that uh, wonderful illusion that it is. Um, but yes, it is. It's a lot more, you know, like, you know, six years later, you learn. Yeah. And uh, yeah, exactly. there's a lot of processes. There's a lot of formal, you know, agreements in place. And so that helps, um, you know, we're out in the world more. So, you know, people mm-hmm. see it. And so, you know, listen, like we're a formal 501c3 charity. Um, you know, we have been, uh, thankfully, for for many years. And, um, you know, so from that perspective, we just grown. We've grown our network. We've grown, um, you know, our supplier network. We've also grown our distributor network as far as where it's going, where we, we've also kind of tightened up what we want, we wanted to do. Right. We focus only on non-communicable diseases that affect women. So yeah. diabetes, heart disease, cancers affecting women and maternal health. Those are the four areas more or less that are affecting women where mm-hmm. there's equipment that can prevent, detect, or, or treat these, these issues so yep. that they can have wonderful, productive lives to move forward, you know, to contribute back to their family, to contribute uh, to their communities and to society as a whole. And listen, like all of this started as a girl myself in STEM, and I want yep. girls to go to school. Mm-hmm. Girls are not going to school and they're being pulled out first when their mothers, their aunts, their grandmothers, et cetera, are sick or have died, and right. they're being pulled out to take care of their families. And so quite honestly, my intent was to make sure girls are going to school because like I know girls, including myself, are more adept actually until it's trained out of us um, in science and in math and in technology and in engineering. And there's no reason that there's not going to be, you know, the, the, the next Nobel prize winners, they're girls, they're going to be in mm-hmm. developing countries because right. they were able to go to school. They're the ones that are going to, um, you know, cure cancer and solve, you know, world peace, let's hope. And, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, it's girls who are going yep. or women, you know, girls who turn into women who are going to do that. And so, that was my intention. Like, I think that's I'm in healthcare. I, yeah. I can solve one gap. I don't need to build another school. There's plenty of schools. Yeah, they right. They just need to go to them. 
yeah i think that that's i think that that's a really interesting angle on the whole thing which is like some people's solution which is i mean look you're not gonna know it's not a bad thing to build schools right but the solution to trying to keep girls in school is not necessarily more schools right you've got to track back along the the pathway to understand why they're not spending time in school which could be lots of different things but particularly as far as health is concerned keeping the other women in their family group healthy or healthier for longer means that those younger girls can stay in school for longer yeah yeah i think that's, that's really, exactly really what insightful. i want to and, was know, that- and, and listen i'm in healthcare okay. like <laughs> i happen to be in healthcare if i was happened to be an educator i would have solved this problem completely differently right. but i'm in healthcare and i figured out how I can solve it. And it's not the only solution because we all need to do this together. Um, But like, it's one solution that hopefully is going to make a, you know, a dent. And why particularly those, why I think cancer might be sort of obvious to people listening, you know, everyone's probably either had their own cancer story or, or someone very close to them, but, but in developing countries or developing nations, um, why focus on heart disease and diabetes in those developing countries? Are they as big of a problem in developed countries? I'm sort of asking a rhetorical question because I kind of know the answer, but I, I think it's useful to kind of explain it as well, because I think that there is a perception um, that's that's wrong, that some of the issues that affect developed countries' healthcare systems don't affect developing countries' healthcare systems. Yeah, it's, it's that we actually just don't hear about it um, right. because a lot of people, and like, listen, we, we work in this middle bracket, Um, not the poorest of the poor, not the wealthiest of the wealthiest. We work in this middle income area, low to middle income area, which, you know, which is, is an interesting area to work in because once you've kind of graduated from the, you know, the, 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 the lowest or the bottom of the pyramid, most of your aid actually leaves. And so your healthcare systems are not equipped. So yeah, like everyone's starting to make a little bit more money. You're starting to have these sugary, horrible products. You're starting to see, you know, um, um, weight gain is a sign of wealth. You're starting to see like, great, I can buy that bag of chips. You know, these are things that are exciting. And unfortunately, obesity, unfortunately, heart disease. And the other thing is, it's great. You've solved, not solved, but you've eradicated a lot of the issues that are taking people at a much earlier age. And now people are living longer. And so they're developing cancer and diabetes and heart disease. And it's one of those things, listen, it's barely talked about in the US and in Europe. So it's certainly not talked about there. And this is an issue. Like these are 100% issues around the world, especially when you start introducing food that's not good for you and you know environmental you know issues and stress of work and cities all of these other things that um you know that's that's one of the reasons why and and you know we focus on these things because because with equipment you know like these are things that we can we can work on Uh, we can work on you know we can work on everything and everything you know we also wanted to take a kind of broad strokes approach to say like let's get some diagnosis. Do do I think that, you know, there should be targeted protein, proton therapy, you know? Yes, of course. But like, if nobody even knows what cervical cancer is and that it can be, you know, if caught early, it can be eradicated with a a shot eventually and B within a two minute procedure. Hey, you don't need to worry about, you know, very expensive million dollar protein therapy. Like how about we just get a, $10,000 $10,000 piece of equipment over to where it needs to go. Well, especially when that $10,000 piece of equipment has been jumped. 
right? Correct. Or, you know, right. which, cause it has a scratch on it or the marketing colors have changed, you know, oh, like I these did, are yeah, things did, yeah. that like, you know, the, these are things that there's excess of. Yeah. And so why not put them to use? And that's exactly why I started her LTQ again, engineer found something that needed to be fixed, fixed it uh, with the solution. And, you know, we're not different than some other organizations that are out there. The, there are difference is that we're focused on women. We're focused right. on women with non-communicable diseases in developing and in, in emerging markets. Like right. that's, that's our niche. That's our kind of little, you know, gap. And I know, mm-hmm. you know, we'll talk about, you know, Hey, it's international women's you know month yeah. and day, especially, but you know, for why to focus specifically on women, but I would say, listen, like women are contributing to society, especially in these markets um, more than men are, they're the ones holding up their society. So, right. you know, it's an equality and equity thing for, right. for us. And as a woman, you know, I happen to be a woman who started the organization. Yeah. So that's what I decided yeah. to focus on. That makes sense. <laughs> um, well, we're going to come back because I want to go into, uh, in the last part of the show, I want to kind of pick up or allow, give, give you the chance to take us through a couple of case studies of things that you've done. Cause I know that you've done some really cool stuff. Um, and then we can talk a bit about international women's day and like why why it matters because obviously in theory you know hopefully we get to a point where we don't necessarily need that right because there's equality and, and all that kind of stuff but we're not we're not there yet by, by a long way um so we're going to break for another commercial break and then we'll be back after two minutes with marissa fayer ceo of her health eq uk health radio the station that makes you feel good Scalar light is the quantum energy emitted from the universe, from the sun and stars. Now, Tom Palladino, a humanitarian and scalar light researcher, has created the world's only scalar light healing system, a system that can bring long-distance healing and wellness to humans, pets, and plants via a photograph. Get your free 15-day trial now at scalarlight.com or click on the Scalar Light banner on the UK Health Radio website. Shields like masks are top of mind right now. But did you know you have inner armor working constantly to protect you from pathogens? It keeps you healthy and thriving. It's your immune system. Ion Gut triggers the body's natural ability to support gut strength all year long, so your immune system can protect you when you need it the most. How are you treating your inner armor? Visit uk.ionbiome.com to learn more. Ion Gut. Protect what protects you. The station that makes you feel good. Hello and welcome back to the final part of this week's Health Tech Hour with me, Steve Roost, and Marissa Fayer, CEO of Her Health EQ. So, um, Marissa, before we dive into a couple of the things that, that, that Her Health EQ has done, which I really want to give you the chance to showcase, what how would you define health inequality i like to do this on the show because like there are so many words that get thrown around not just in healthcare but generally right and i just want to make sure that all of the listeners that everyone are all on the same page what is health inequality yeah so it's where there's not access to 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 healthcare 
um, you know, in an equal manner. So men and women, um, you know, equal access, uh, different, different um, races, equal access. And so um, that's healthcare inequality, having access to quality equipment as well. And, you know, we ever, a lot of people talk about why women, like why, why, why is there such a focus on women's health and, you know, all of that? I mean, first of all, it was completely marginalized for so long, let's just be honest. Um, And it's only now just being talked about. So maybe that's one of the reasons why. Um, But the second reason, you know, is that, let's just be honest, like, like women's health is just a little bit more complicated. And it's not to say, you know, it's for superiority reasons. It just is like Mm -hmm. women are, having births. There's just also more areas of us to focus on, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yes, men get breast cancer, but disproportionately, obviously women get breast cancer. Um, yep. you know, there's so many uh, other women's organs and there's also such less focus on it. And that, um, quite honestly, women contri- like our contributing factors are different. And so right. women present differently for several conditions like heart attacks, yeah. I mean, only in a few, only a few years ago, it was really talked about that women present completely different for a heart attack. So, yeah, that, that's what Selena Gore was saying when she came on yeah. from Women Heart, right? That was because that was one of the debates we got into, which is why is there a female only heart disease charity? And she said, well, for very good reasons, right? Because first of all, it presents completely differently. Access to healthcare, access to treatment, very different, and also culturally, um, you know, and, and societally the the way that heart disease just particularly picking on that is is discussed or engaged with amongst women and amongst the society for uh, as far as women suffering from that is really really different right you know like her point was like you know when someone thinks of somebody having a heart attack they think of a kind of an older age man like going down clutching his chest they don't think they, they that's not how they think about they don't put a woman in that sort of frame right right and and then just imagine a woman in you know in Kenya who <laughs> like you know like these perceptions are still are still there so you know nobody's going to take it seriously when a woman walks into you know hospital in Nairobi and it's like I'm having a heart attack like no yeah. like so these are things that need to be need to be tested at a clinic level these are things that need to be monitored for these are just need things that need to be checked as far as like what we do in a general well checkup um, yeah. a well visit so why would these things not be appropriate and, and applicable to test for women in every country, in every geography, in any location, in every yeah. any socioeconomic level? And so for us, that's one of the reasons why, you know, why, why we decided to focus on it. And, and, you know, listen, it's, this is what we talk about when we talk about equality, like right. there needs to be equal access and equal screening and equal treatment and equal everything. Um, And it's not more than it's equal. And then, you know, like uh, let's hope to God. And, you know, we hope that it's all, uh, you know, within our lifetime, but you know, we're not sure that it's going to be quite honestly, but like, let's hope we just get to this equal point, you know? And, and it's not, again, it's not that we want more screening 60%, 70%, 90% only on women. No, Mm -hmm. it's literally, we want it. 50-50. Well, and also I think the point is around, around that, that inequality is worse in developing countries, emerging countries, right? I think that's sort of your... Yeah, or, or it's the, a societal the, thing. It's a, it's it, a societal really... thing, right? So there's the inherent inequality anyway, the inherent additional complexity. Um, 
layered on top of with like a, a sort of a societal thing that makes it harder or less acceptable or you know whatever it is for women to go and engage with healthcare services um then then yeah that's a problem yeah and listen like we also want to and we know that in a lot of uh, emerging markets developing countries that women are coming in to get a checkup because they're getting a checkup because of their baby or they're getting a checkup right. because they're pregnant or right. you know they've just had a baby so let's right. give them the whole battery test like you know yep. like let's make sure all these services are available because quite honestly they're, they do, do not prioritize their health and themselves over anybody else in that family. Right. And oftentimes they're not even allowed to, you know, to, to go yeah. to get services unless they are yeah. pregnant. And so let's make sure everything's there and there's access to it um, when they are there. And which is why oftentimes when a woman is um, pregnant or has just had a baby, you know what, she's going to get a cervical cancer screening. She's going yep. to get a treatment if she needs it. She's going to be, you know, um, vaccinated for HPV. She's right. going to, you know, all of these things. Like she's going to have a heart scan. She's going to, you know, and it's not like we're talking about a complex one where, you know, people are hooking up an EKG and making sure she's, everything's fine. Like this yeah. is very, very basic. Yeah. Um, and, and just having access to it at the point of the woman is, is what we're talking about um, you know, for, for access, uh, you know, and trying to prevent some of these inequalities. And it's so, also different, like in the U S and in Europe, you know, women are walking into the doctors, like nobody's business. Like, you yeah. know, I, I like text chat with mine. I mean, it's wonderful, <laughs> but like, you know, it's like, That's, Hey, like it yeah. does not happen everywhere. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, sadly. Um, so what, what are one of the two or one or two of the things where, you know, initiatives or, or actions that, that her health, her health EQ has, has, has led on recently that, that you want to sort of share? Yeah, absolutely. So we have one that we're, well, a few that we're really excited about, but one of them is um, providing the first population-based um, um, uh, breast cancer screening program in India. Oh, and wow. so it is a 30 site program. We're providing, you know, wow. top of the line. It's not a mammogram screen. It's actually a really very cool uh, thermo non-touch patient. You take a, you know, take some pictures, um, oh. and cancer show up hot. So thermal oh, imaging nice. is really applicable, and it's really culturally sensitive. It has a geolocator app where the, you know, everything gets reported, and you can find your doctor close to you. We're doing this in um, three to four cities in northern India, and um, you know, it's it's open access to, you know, private, you know, private, um, uh, citizens and, mm -hmm. you know, it's not at a public hospital. We're doing this right. actually in the, in the private sector. So that's really oh, cool. exciting. And so, um, we're, we're anticipating it's 70,000 women are screened for breast cancer every wow. single year. And so we've just launched that. Um, we, we have two sites kind of, uh, that are getting up and running now, we have um, three to five that are get up and running uh, in the near future. We've partnered with some large NGOs as well to do this cool. in India, partnered with doctors. And so, um, you know, still obviously kind of still launching that one. Yeah. So that's exciting. That's we great. also have, yeah, it's really exciting. And then we also have a really big global program that we're about to launch. Um, it's for the detection of cervical cancer. It's with one of our equipment partners and we're doing this in 10 countries. 10 pulposcopes wow. each. And um, we're, we're estimating to impact at least 450,000 women per year for screening of cervical wow. cancer. Like this is, this to us is a game changer and it's a, 
uh, it's an exciting one because and, it's 10 different countries and yeah. 10 different clinics. And so like literally it's a hundred different sites. Um, yeah. and in, the, in, in, in India and, and, and this global project, is it, is it that these devices fundamentally just didn't exist in these countries in the way that you're doing it? So this is effectively almost like a zero to one. It's not like screening slightly more people. It's actually screening people that for the most part or almost exclusively wouldn't otherwise be screened. Yeah, so so especially in, in sub-Saharan Africa, like cervical cancer screenings are not, you know, not as prevalent as they should be, especially where their um, cervical cancer rates are very high. You know, okay. we're talking about four or 5% of the entire population wow. are going to have cervical cancer. That is hundreds of millions of women. Right. Um, so let's screen for it, find it early, and you can treat it right. very easily. And so, you know, we're getting this equipment into the hands of countries that we think could really, you know, use this. Um, mm-hmm. Breast cancer screening is not popular in India. It's right. something that's not even talked about. So, right. you know, let's get these into maybe some even, you know, private clinics that could okay. screen, you know, middle-class women right. who don't have access to these services either. You know, like, listen, as we said, we don't necessarily just work at the bottom of the pyramid. There are, right. there are a significant middle-class in all of these countries. Everybody's up and coming. I mean, hence yeah. the word emerging, emerging markets, yeah. you know, like there is money to be spent in healthcare and why not spend it? on services for preventative screening where we just, we just like, I just walk into the doctor and like, get this. Yeah. I mean, prevention is prevention, right? It's sort of, yeah. you know, like whether it's at the bottom or the top of the pyramid, it doesn't really over the middle. It's sort of, yeah. you're still prevent you're, you're still preventing someone getting sick. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, like, that's what we're working towards and, and making that's sure that women really equally have access. Like, again, yeah. this is what and we I, talk about equal access. And, and I think that that's interesting. Cause like, is, is the breast cancer issue in India, is that a cultural one, do you think, or partly cultural around the sensitivity of the exam and the, you know, the yeah. nature of, the, of, of, of where it is, basically? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredibly sensitive. It's nobody talks about it. Women just don't talk about their healthcare in general. It's now starting right. to be talked about because, like, everybody around the world is starting to talk about, you know, women's health. And so <laughs> women in India have been talking about this, or they didn't even know these types of technologies existed because, you know, let's be honest, mammogram is, you know, it is a gold standard. So is an ultrasound, but there are other ways to do it. Yeah. And so let's do this in a more culturally sensitive way. The technology was developed in India. So really? why would we not use it wow. in the country? Are you serious? You know? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. No way. It's amazing. No, it's not oh our gosh. technology. We're utilizing another, you know, company's technology oh, and they wow. developed it because they saw a need. And like, that's right. why I gravitated towards them because they saw the cultural sensitivity to that. Like we hired our software developers in India because they understand on how to create a medical platform for women in India. I'm not doing that from the U S that, that doesn't point towards cultural sensitivity. Well, it it would probably be a complete disaster if you tried to do that from the U S right? Like you would just get it wrong a hundred different ways. Yeah. And we're also providing, you know, this is, these are other opportunities to provide employment for women yeah. in these countries, because That's quite honestly, cervical cancer, breast cancer, these are very, you know, sensitive women topics. And so yep. women are not going to typically go to a man for these types of exams. No. So great. No. We've just provided more jobs for women, you know, in, think, in, in yeah. an indirect way. That's, that's fantastic. Um, that's really fantastic. And so is there more like that sort of I guess those two things are pretty big enough, right, to be kind of handling oh, yeah, alongside yeah, yeah. everything else you're handling. 
Yeah, no. And listen, we're going country. We're also doing other projects country by country. We're doing some other projects uh, in Latin America. We're doing some projects um, in other areas in Southeast Asia or, you know, and in South Sahara, Africa. Um, you know, we we have all intentions also to get into um, Eastern Europe. It was happening. We were planning to do that before the conflict. We're certainly going to be doing it as a result of after the conflict as well. Yeah, and, um, you know, everybody needs help. There's there's areas around the world. And so making sure that, uh, you know, equipment is equally distributed. Uh, yeah. So we have we have programs that are going everywhere over like we're, we're constantly working on new ones. It's really exciting. Um, we have equipment right now that's deploying to. Uh, you know, nobody thinks about it because it's a vacation destination, but like, you know, Zanzibar in Tanzania. Like, right. Yeah, there's still women there that need yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, access. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that that, no, I, yeah, it makes it makes total sense. I think that there's sort of, like you said, there's there's all levels of the pyramid. There's an access to, to healthcare issue, you know, and, and a lot of it like, relates to equipment. And if there's a, a whole bulk of equipment somewhere that isn't necessarily being used or could even be developed in that location, like in India, Right, which provides employment and provides stimulus locally and also that cultural sensitivity locally. So it's not just like, you know, someone from another country coming in and saying, hey, this works over here. You should do it that way. I think it sounds fantastic. Yeah, no, thank you. And I mean, I think it's also points to some of the work that you're doing as well. To like, yeah. you know, like, like yeah, let's just no, be honest. It's not yeah. it's not just me doing this. It's you doing this. It's people no. all around the world that are doing this. And, you know, from our perspective, like like everybody has to work together. We all have to do this. Like we're not an island. I don't want to be the only solution out there because we're sometimes not the best solution either. Well, and and I think that, that. And I think that in healthcare, right, it's not a zero sum game, right? Because there's just there's there's more and more people that need help. So it's not like it's not like in some traditional for profit space where it's like, well, you know, I need to be the number one in the market because otherwise, you know, that's market leadership position I need to have. Sort of like, well, you know. It's a pretty big market because it kind of includes everybody on the planet. So, you know, I'm sure like we need everyone to sort of work together a little bit. Um, yes. So just before we go, this we've got we've got basically one one minute and a half before Johan's flicks the switch. Um, so what would your advice be to anyone who I get in the entrepreneurial space or the not for profit space? You know, as someone that's been doing a lot of different things, you know, at a really high level for, for, for a while. Like what, what what's the one, you know, number one, number two lessons that you kind of hold true to? Just keep going. Just literally keep going and don't stop. You can take a break. You can slow down. Just don't stop. Right. Um, it's exhausting. Like, listen, this this game, this industry is exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're raising capital, you're raising philanthropic funds, you're raising investor capital, you're developing a new product, you're doing all of these things. It's exhausting. But honestly, you have to keep going. Um, and that's kind of what I would say. And also, find something you love to do. I love healthcare. I'm not the most educated in it because I'm not a physician or a clinician, but like I have one, you know, part of it. And so from my perspective, like find something you love and just keep going. Good. Well, look on that note, Marissa, Marissa Fayer, CEO of health and her health EQ. Thanks for coming on to the show and thank you to everyone for listening. And we'll be back again next week. Thanks so much for having me. Happy international women's month. Happy international.